Winterfellas. Do you love Cast of Thrones and want to help us offset some of our recording and hosting costs? Head on over to castofthrones.com slash donate and give us those golden dragons or even a monthly pledge of a silver stag. And now, on with the podcast. Wine, Women, and Westeros, an offshoot of Cast of Thrones, the Game of Thrones podcast. This is our fifth Wine, Women, and Westeros episode, which I cannot even believe. It's crazy. So uh, I'm your your host for the evening, Jennifer Cheek. You guys know me. And with me, I have Miss Betsy Cohen. Oh, hey, guys. And I have Annie Bickerton. Hello. And we are here to talk about season three of Game of Thrones. So um, if, if you're not super familiar with our podcast, we will not be doing any spoilers past season three. Um, but I think, yeah, not even stuff from the, if there's like a weird thing from the book that wasn't in season three, we're not going to talk about that either. We're just talking about season three and back. So no spoilers past that point for us. Um, if you haven't already guessed from the name of the episode, Wine, Women, and Westeros, uh, basically what happens is the, the women part is, has two meanings. Number one being is three ladies talking Game of Thrones. Oh, we'd, yeah. We be ladies. We be ladies. And <laughs> the other being that we like to focus on lady issues in Game of Thrones. We don't just talk about that, but it's a lot of it. Lots um, of ovaries the, going on here. Lo- oh, so many ovaries. <laughs> so many so many women-identified women. You know, we got to use our graduate degrees for some reason. You know? Um, oh, and the other important thing is that we like to consume a lot of wine while we talk about these things. So, hey, Betsy and Annie, what you, what you drinking tonight? We are drinking a nice, cool Pinot Grigio called Bella Vita, which has little stars on the label. Yep. And, and I'm a classy oh, broad, nice. so I've got, like, seven cubes of ice in it because it's real hot <laughs> here in Brooklyn right now. I think it's, like, 97 <laughs> degrees today. It's hot as hell. Let me let me guys let me tell you guys a sad story. It's not really. It ended up being Aww. fine. But I I got home from work today and I was on the couch and reviewing things and I went into a panic because I was like, oh, do I even have wine in the house right now? What the shit? Luckily, I did have a bottle of wine. But I had <laughs> Thank a good, good lord. Like, ten seconds. A good ten seconds of had No white wine, even though it is hot as hell. I am drinking an apothic red that I got. From the Trader Joe's, but you know what? It's all right. We love our Trader Joe's wine. I'll be. It's that's. I feel like that's pretty much the only thing that we drink on this show. So I feel like we should be sponsored by Trader Joe's. We should be. Well, there's actually a really (laughs) cute like wine store on the street for me, and Trader Joe's is like not that convenient for me to get to unless I like make an exodus there. So when I have been buying wine lately, it's been at this wine store on the street that's very cute, but it's in Fort Greene in Brooklyn, and so I think it's called Olivino. But it's really nice, and they're Aww. nice there. <laughs> if you're ever in Brooklyn, just go just on pop in, there. Shout get out. that white women in Westeros discount. There, there isn't one. There's <laughs> tell, no tell discount. Them about it. They'll definitely they'll ask definitely them to give me a discount. They're a lot. <laughs> they should. Um, so I guess we'll just get started. Just get started and talk about things. We have this gigantic Google document, and we have a million things we want to talk about. So we'll um, we're just gonna start talking and see what happens. Oh yeah. Um, I think the first thing. Let's first talk about. 
good things from this season. We like to start on a high note. Can we can we give out yeah. our, our award that I made up? Because that's a really Please good say, one. You should say it because this is your creation. It's the new this AAA. It's the Awesome yeah. Allies Award that we're giving to everyone on Game of Thrones. Not everyone. Certain characters on yeah. Game of Thrones. <laughs> the ones who are actually awesome allies. Yes. Uh, this season, for the way that rape was discussed, um, especially considering where we came from with the first season of like really having to stomach a lot of unfortunate thoughts about rape there yeah there were some really great moments in this season um first one i want to give a big gold star to is Tyrion when he's talking to tywin um about not wanting to rape sansa and i think the choice of that word was not like i'm not going to force her i'm not going to like make her but i'm not going to like the word the use, the use of the word rape yeah even though they're already married is very unusual in that context in that time period and I just all the exactly. gold stars. If you're, if, yeah, given the if fact that if you're taking Westeros as a medieval, like mm-hmm. a medieval type place, then yeah. like I mean, did the concept of marital? I mean, I mean, I, I, did the concept of marital rape even exist in the medieval mm-hmm. world? I probably not. And so the fact that Tyrion even thinks about that definitely is yeah. I mean, put, I, yeah, putting it in that in that framework is. Potentially not even like a little bit historically accurate, but I think it was a really uh, awesome. It's fantasy. And it, no, but it's dragons. Like, well, I was gonna say, <laughs> given the fact that I'm not even sure that every state in the U- in the U.S. recognizes marital rape, uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty progressive. So, we, so thanks, Tyrion. We and love ne- you. We love you, Tyrion. The next gold star goes to Dario <laughs> uh, for his. I think almost kind of like a little bit cheesy, but I sort of love it line where he's hey, like, man. there's nothing better than, than fucking a woman who wants to fuck you and killing a man who wants to kill you. Um, and basically making his point, like he doesn't want to have to pay for sex, which is something to talk about in and of itself, but really that like mm-hmm. sexuality to him is a lot about consent and about your partner being into and it. And that's consent. also incredibly yeah. unique for a man in Westeros. Gold star dark. Like- like you were saying, not in, and it's not just consent, but enthusiastic consent. Exactly. Yes. You <laughs> get it. And this is, man, I love Dario. Like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like in the books, honestly, I kind of was like, I didn't really have a feeling about him. Yeah. But I, I feel like the actor who plays him has a lot of swag and does a really good job. You just so, love that like, bone structure, too. Don't even lie <laughs> about it. I, know, he's, I was going to say, he's such a lover boy. Like, he's kind of a Casanova, and it's a little he misogynist. Is. that he's like, I serve beauty. Like, screw other women. Beautiful <laughs> women, I'll take them, you know? I'll, yeah. I'll yeah. fight. But, I mean, come on. That's who true. beheads their two partners in crime for, for a lovely lady? So, I, yeah. I mean, I think if... if it were anyone but Danny, who I already am like going to root for her every step of the way. I'd be like, "This is weird," but it's, he's helping Danny out. Anyone who helps Danny out is an A plus on my team. She's a friend of mine. Yeah, any friend of Danny's is a friend of Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the next two are kind of like really interesting to me, and I, I, I'm excited to unpack them with you guys. Um, mm-hmm. So Jamie's discussion with Brienne about her eventually, her inevitable rape when they are taken by mm-hmm. Bruce Bolton's men. I forget that guy's name. The um, creepy his man. Name is, well, on the show, his name is Locke. Locke. That's why okay. it's confusing because he's not exactly equivalent to the book character. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you should just give in to it. And she's like, would you? And he's like, no, I'd make them kill me. Um, it's just a really interesting, like, very tense moment. And I think... I don't even remember if it was in the same episode if there are two different ones, but it was like mirrored really strongly for me with the scene where Theon is escaping 
Um, yeah. Ramsey's, like, when Ramsey Snow helps Theon escape, and, like, the guys are coming through the woods, and they're, yeah. like, about to butt rape Theon, and there's, like, all this tension and stress, and then he kind of gets saved, too, but it's, like, this very similar tension of, like, a very um, relatable and strong character that you have a lot of feeling for about to be really violated, and someone else intervening. And it's, it was interesting to me that I felt so similarly about the Brienne scene and the Theon scene with that tension and that fear for them. Right. Especially mostly because I love Brienne See, so, so I felt much. differently because to me, Theon's kind of a dick and mm-hmm. he, like, him getting ass raped by men seems kind of like almost to be expected where Brienne is so much dignity and mm-hmm. she's so honorable that I yeah. felt really differently about it. But I really... The relationship with Brienne and Jamie this season is one of the ones that I love the most. And I feel like he really gains his humanity as a character. And also, I think just the, the dynamic between them, the respect and the mm-hmm. honor that they have between with each other is really um, surprising and really nice. I, I just really appreciated that, you know, keeping yeah, her from getting I, raped, but also from getting killed. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that... Um, I think that scene with Jamie is so powerful because when we first met Jamie, the first thing that we know about him is that Jamie kills a child, like tries to kill a child. You forget it so easily. Like I forget I do. about it all the time, all yeah. the time. And and, and I think especially for show watchers, I I wonder how it's been watching this season because he's so sympathetic in season three, and Jamie did not have to stick his neck out for Brienne. He could have just sat back. And nothing. Mm-hmm, and yeah. then his hand wouldn't have got chopped off. Muscle, which, granted, that was also because he's kind of an egotistical dude and was pushing things too far. But he didn't have to stick his neck out for Brienne. But he did because he does have good in him. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I want to say he, he's a, he's a good person, which is hard to say considering the fact that he pushed a child out of a very tall. Well, he's, <laughs> he's a good person who has, whose context and background does not lend itself to creating good people very well. You know, like his role models, his morality, all of those things, he's growing and becoming a good person despite Tywin and Cersei and exactly the legacy that is his life um, because he's being really challenged and forced to grow. And, and being humiliated and humbled, mm-hmm. too, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the invincibility of the Lannister family is really coming into question this season in general. Yeah. Um, and in, you know, this book. And that's, you know, I think that his sort of um, humbling and earning respect for others, you know, equal to the respect he has for himself is really like a key change in this season and book. It's kind of been a way for him, like, it's almost like his worldview is changed a, a little bit mm-hmm. because he's having to see things from a very disadvantaged viewpoint. Like, he is not in power. Like, he's completely... Um, enthralled to these men, and it's kind of it kind of makes him think like, oh, like yeah. his his this assumed is bad. <laughs> beautiful blonde white male privilege is being thrown into question pretty strongly everywhere, and it makes him a better person, even if he's a, a lesser person of sword fighting ability. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he goes he goes he goes from being like the ideal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird because on the one hand he he's ideal in Westeros because he's like he's a handsome, powerful, rich. Uh, man who's good at war. Like, he's mm-hmm. great. But on the other hand, he's kind of reviled because of those things, too. It's a very strange dynamic, because he's got the whole Kingslayer thing that's, like, weighing on it. Everyone's got their shit. Mm-hmm. Everyone. That's one thing, like, this is 
pretty off topic, but it's kind of been on my brain recently. Uh, the concept of privilege in general, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people kind of bristle at that language. Uh, privilege, I, I don't think privilege means that you don't have your shit. Like, everyone's got their shit they have to deal with, but yeah. you might be privileged in certain ways. And I think Jamie's actually a really good example of that mm-hmm. <laughs> in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because he's very, he's very much respected in, in many ways, but reviled in others. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I think there's, and then there's that scene with him and Brienne where he unpacks his experience of being the Kingslayer mm-hmm. so well. And it's just, it's, Oh my God, that scene. The, the hot shit, tub scene. scene. So... It's just, it's so good. <laughs> It's a bath, guys, not a hot tub. Yeah. It's a hot tub. <laughs> this is a hot spring. <laughs> sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like you you shed so much light on what is moral and what oaths are worth keeping and so much of what brings Jamie to be the kind of person who does try to save Brienne, who does see himself as a, as a person capable of doing good for others. And I think... I mean, clearly he had that experience, and that is his shit. And I think that also his, his relationship with Tyrion helps set him up to be a better, more compassionate person. Absolutely. Because um, he, he sees the struggles that Tyrion goes through, and exactly. he loves his brother. Like, he yeah. genuinely loves his brother, and Tyrion loves him. Yeah. They're, they're super tight, which, for a lot of the show, they're kind of in separate areas because he gets captured mm-hmm. um, back in, in season one. But that that is a huge underlying thing from the books is that they have a very strong relationship with one another. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, is that... when I think one last alley that we hadn't made notes about but that I really enjoyed this season was Samuel Tarley. Yes. And in some ways it's a little bit of a typical gender thing where he wants to impress the girl so he sort of mans up and saves the day. But in some ways, I thought it was really sweet that um, that the relationship with her helps bring out a side of himself that he didn't have access to. And it's kind of like this positive, um, what's the word? Not chauvinism, but... Um, gallantry. Uh, gallantry, yeah. Like, it's yeah. it's actually like a, a gender role. Chivalry. Chivalry, yeah. That's the word. Yeah. And it's one of those gender roles that actually brings out a better side of him where he suddenly mm-hmm. becomes braver. And I, I, I found that kind of sweet. And, yeah. um, you know, he's still comical and ridiculous, but it's, uh, yeah. it's a better... Well, I mean, I think that, like, regardless of the gender construct of, like, Gilly is a woman, Samuel Samuel's a man, like, they both come into a situation where Samuel is able to help someone who is more disadvantaged than him and he cares to do it. And she also has her moments of being able to step up and be the more powerful one, too, which is also, now I'm going to get really off topic, and I apologize. That's okay. But okay. it's also mirrored the same way with Mira and Jojen Reed, where mm-hmm. um, it's that same construct where, like, there are certain things that are kind of gendered. Like, Samuel should know how to fucking build a fire. He should be, like, <laughs> exactly the Night's Watch is, like, basically the Eagle Scouts. He should know. Yeah. And he doesn't. And Jojen Reed well. isn't as good with weapons, so Mira handles them. And it's, like, just because some people need help doesn't mean they're not worth helping. And in such yes. an interesting way that I think the show has laid it out with those two relationships with that both people really need help and they can find ways that, that are helpful to each other that aren't typical of their gender constructs. It's so like they have, really a, cool. they have a mutuality in, in, in their relationships that is not strictly gender aligned at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not like, well, you're the man, so you do this, and you're the woman, so you do this. It's like, no, let's look at our personality. Let's help each other together. Like, let's be a team. Let's see what our strengths are. Exactly. And I I hadn't even thought at all about the fact how 
They're not. It's the same concept with both of them. And it's mm-hmm. really, I don't know, it's interesting to mirror those. Like, yeah. one brother-sister, one whatever, Samuel and Gilly are together. Um, Magician, book reader, and wildling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Such it's a magic. <laughs> Love it. That was the best thing ever. Also, he gave her a thimble, which is, and, I, and one of my favorite books is Peter Pan, most oh, of our fans don't know about that. that. Um, so, like, the fact that I, like, literally, like, just laughed out loud for, like, five minutes. Like, that's so stupid. I love it. He gave her a thimble. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, that's really off topic. Um, are we ready to, to pick our bones? All right. I think we are. So, we, we've said some we, – we've cushioned this with things that we like. And, again, like, we're not we're not here just to, like, bitch and moan about bad things in the Game of Thrones, but we're also analyzing it. We can like a thing and criticize it at the same time. That's um, true love. It's knowing it weaknesses is. and loving it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, let's talk about some shitty shit <laughs> from this season. Shitty shit. Should we talk yeah, about the yeah. shittiest shit first or the least shitty shit first? Let's talk about the shittiest, because I just feel like it's going to hang over my head the entire time. So for, um, for me, that's Ross's death scene? Is that- yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, like, oh, murder, rape, porn. Like, violence, was, porn against women. Like, get, I, I, I feel like HBO overall has done an excellent job of Game of Thrones, but there's there's been a, some scenes um, throughout the entirety of the series that reminds me, like, oh, this is HBO. This is HBO that's doing Game of Thrones. And they have to do something either, like, just weirdly sexual or something that's extremely graphic for no good reason. Like, graphic and violent for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that not everyone... This scene was very controversial in general. I think it was very disturbing. Um, not everyone felt it was a necessary scene. I personally felt it was out of line. Yeah. I, I don't think... That it forwarded any of our understanding of the characters any better. I think it was gratuitously violent and objectifying. And I, to be honest, like if I wasn't, if I hadn't read through where I read through and wasn't so invested in seeing the Red Wedding play out really, if this was like a new show to me that I was watching, I don't think I would have watched after that episode. Because I felt, I think that like, not just that the fact that I, I didn't like they were doing it, but as a viewer, like feeling complicit in watching that and feeling like you were condoning that kind of decision by continuing mm-hmm. to watch felt wrong to me. I was just like, no, I'm not okay with us weirdly getting off on this voyeurism of watching someone be brutally murdered for no reason. See, I didn't really I'll feel say. that way, but I also, I only read the first half of book three, so I'm not really sure like where the difference is were in terms of how the book portrayed this. And well, how? she didn't have it. Oh, yeah. That's a, None of this happened that's at all. So, You're right. That's okay, weird. so non-portrayal of this in the book. You know, I don't really know if there's other, you know, comparable violence from Joffrey's end or, like, what the point is in the TV show. But to me, it felt like an over... Maybe, like, oversimplified image of a psychopath. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, Joffrey's, like the most evil person ever because instead of having sex with a prostitute, he murdered her and she was even fully clothed. So he doesn't even really care about sex that much. He just loves the violence. So I think in some ways it was like an oversimplified, um, this guy's a sociopath and you know, this, Mm. it sort of, it reduces him to just a violent, you know, child, you know, like Mm. he's not, he's so immature in so many ways and like gets so much glee out of violence. But I didn't feel like, complicit in watching it in some ways I felt like 
I, it was meant to be horrifying right. and mm-hmm. shocking. And it actually I, wasn't, like, over-sexualized or anything, which made me feel like it wasn't indulgent. Um, mm-hmm. the, the reason I think that it really upset me so much, um, being, and I think I've, I actually talked about this on Caster Thrones at some point, being a book reader kind of cushions my brain a little bit because I know what's going to be happening. Um, and when that scene happened, I was not prepared mm-hmm. at all. Not at all. And it, it just, I felt, I felt almost betrayed a little bit by it because here's this, in, this character, Roz, who, when she first showed up in the show, I was like, oh, this is a dumb, like, why is this character here? Like, she's taking screen time away from other, like, characters that are actually in the book. What the heck? And as the show went on, she actually really developed her own personality and I was really rooting for her. And then to have her killed in this way, like, to my brain, the only reason she was killed was to be like, see how bad Joffrey is? Like, And also to make Littlefinger more of a clear villain. Like, I think that that... Yes. There, I kind of take back, like, that there was nothing that came from it. I think that it solidified Littlefinger as a real important villain to look out for in That's the future. Because um, it, it's, 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 it's all happening with his, like, crazy the climb speech voiceover thing. And it's clearly right. so much more about him than it is about us hating Joffrey more because we already hate Joffrey if just a human being can possibly hit anyone, you know? Exactly. Um, just, I think you're right because, I mean, really, I mean, it's Joffrey's fault because he did it, but Littlefinger absolutely set it up. Yeah. He knew it was going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess my, like, strong emotional response is a little bit of, like, the complete shock of it, and everything should be shocking to everyone all the time, but, like... When yeah. Theon scenes would happen, I would know to cover my eyes until I could, exactly. you know, like, I would exactly. know, like, when the Red Wedding was about to happen, as soon as the Reigns of Castamere started up, I was like, oh, oh, it's gonna get bad. Yeah. Oh, things well, are gonna happen. about <laughs> gratuitous violence. I mean, the whole Red Wedding scene is just, like, gore and blood. So, to me, the standard of violence in the books and in the TV shows, I mean, it's, it's a different selection in the TV shows, but yeah. I and really feel that it, like... There's an unbelievable amount of violence towards mm-hmm. women and men, you know, towards everyone. Really, I think I, yeah, I think it's an interesting tie to the. So I think that the two murders that were obviously, uh, yeah, no, I mean, not obvious. The two murders that were hardest for me to watch this season were Talisa's and Roz's. And Talisa's I knew was coming, but it was that very sexualized, like I'm going to stab you right in the uterus, like I'm going to abort this baby while I kill you. Yeah, and that was like yeah. a very just. Horribly targeted, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And Roz's, the image you see of her looking like, like she looks like the straw man that Arya is shooting at the beginning yes. of that episode. Like she doesn't look yes. like she's even a human, but she's like held up by these like arrows in her body. In this way, that's like her, her clothes are still on, but it's a very like, it's a, it's, it's a very like sexualized like pose. Like she's It's like, also very dehumanizing. Like yes. I said, I, and I don't know if that... I have a hard time believing that was not an intentional mm-hmm. um, parallel with with the straw man and yeah. Roz. Maybe it wasn't, but like it, if you're wondering, but go back and watch that episode. No, again. I think that's pretty clear. I, it has. If, if yeah. it's not, then that was that you know is one fuckload fuck yeah. yeah. of a coincidence. Um, I man, I just don't know. Like again, again with the Roz thing, the reason it bothers me so much is what it just makes her her whole life like feel like it was for nothing. And it was to advance two male characters' storyline, which, as I mentioned in the show, is called Women in Refrigerators. It just reminded me of that. Like, that's a yeah, I think that's a really good books. point. 
um, where where a main character, like a woman related to a main character, will be killed in order to move forward the main character's story. Yeah. Um, maybe you can argue that it wasn't that. It just, I don't, I don't know. It, it upset me a lot. I mean, there's a very strong argument there because she she was created for the show and she exists in this small space that's mm-hmm. only in the show space. But there's no, like, motivations of George R. R. Martin maybe coming up with her later. Like, she's done. Exactly. You know, you're she's not going to learn anything else yeah. about her. And the show created her for the purpose to represent all the prostitutes in the book, to make yeah. her a relatable person, to care about empowering and then to tear her down for the sake of Littlefinger's plot. Yeah. I do. I I, think in some ways it's just indicative of, you know, the role of prostitution and the role Mm -hmm. of women Mm -hmm. being disposable to men. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, certain women really can use their positions as sexual objects for power, but ultimately it's kind of an empty power because they're still at the whims of men so uh, yes absolutely yeah That's i think like nice. more than feeling like it was unfair it's just so illustrative of sort of the um unevenness of the gender dynamic and the you know the fact that women are basically sort of crawling up this ladder yeah i mean they're really trying <laughs> yeah. to drag yeah. their way like you know tooth and nail out of the you know very like marginalized roles they have and they think they've gotten out to a certain point and then they're just pulled back in to that marginalization and violence. And that's really, I think, to me, her role is that, is that yeah. in a nutshell. Um, to, be, to be fair, that's also... You You could also see Ross's entire storyline is just indicative of the Game of Thrones in general, how you can be doing really well. You can rise far and still, and still fall hard and still completely lose everything. Um, yeah. And, and that, that happens to some men figuratively, too. It's just... I don't know. It just made me sad. I just, like, had finally started connecting with Roz, and her death really shocked me. I think that's, like, the yeah. end of it for me. Yeah, like, that makes sense. It, it's just, it's trouble. There, there's some troubling things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, did you want to talk more about, about Talisa's character and her death? I, I definitely do. I, uh, I was hoping for a very different storyline to come out with Talisa, and I know I've talked to you, Jen, about this a lot. Yeah. And I know we both had that theory, where... Yeah, there were. I thought she was really gonna be. I thought she was gonna be a spy. I That's did too, I and I really wanted her to be. And it's just, I feel like they really missed an opportunity to. I think we talked about this last time. We're like, I think we were talking about with Marjorie Tyrell a little bit, where it's like, we don't get to see enough strong, interesting women be conniving, and conniving, I mean, in the best possible way. Um, plot strategic, strategic. Thank you. Strategic. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Be strategic and be real political players within the systems that they can work in. And I think there was a really cool opportunity to see that happen with Talisa that wouldn't have really changed too much of where the books are, are going or kind of going or leave ambiguous enough to maybe go. And they just like killed her off and took that whole strip, that possibility away. Um, Cause there were a lot of like potential foreshadowing and lead up to her having worked with Tywin Lannister the whole time. And yeah. I really thought they were planning that. It kind of like doesn't really. A lot of like the moments that they that they used on her now don't really make sense beyond just like fucking around with book readers' heads. Yeah, like there's this suspicion (laughs) of her, and it's like, where did she come from? Why? Why did he betray all of these promises he made to marry her? Like it was really just love. It feels a little foolish, almost like Mm -hmm. he fucked all this stuff up so badly 
for love for this girl who then just gets killed immediately and he dies too. Like, that's it. It just, it, it felt like a little bit of a, um, a weaker plot device than mm-hmm. what George Martin usually does with his characters. And I, I was just, like, disappointed and didn't I really mean, get the importance of her within the television shows other than to set up, like, more shock and disappointment over the marriage ending and I the just, death. I just don't get why, if they were just going to kill her off, why they changed the characters so much. Yeah. That's why, like, what was the point? Like, why? I mean, I think I think maybe they really just wanted to take her out of the whole Game of Thrones. They wanted her to be yeah. a complete outsider with no attachments. So that they, I guess, so, honestly, so I think it would make Rob look like more of a fool the whole time. When yeah, there was, if it was just, like, some, like, mousy girl, which is kind of what that character is in the book. Yeah. Um, I guess, maybe, yeah, maybe they just wanted Rob to not seem like such a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> I think they wanted to, like... such a dumbass. Like, television is sexy, and we're supposed to, like, believe in the honor of young, true love of some yeah. sort. Yeah, but well, I think I also... Clearly, like, I'm saying with a lot of cynicism, but, like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, like, really, like, rolling my eyes. You can't see. <laughs> Yeah, the translation to to television, it's more interesting to have it be about, like, sexual attraction and, like, romantic love than it is just sort of, like, a boring sense of honor because he fucked her when he wasn't married. (laughs) One time. You know what? You know what I think it really was? I think it's because they knew the actress who played Talisa had a nice butt and they were going to show it, and that's why they did. She does have a really nice... (laughs) Was she the Turkish porn star, or is that Shay? No, no, Shay. Shay. no, Una Chaplin is Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter. That's right. Yes, sorry. Yes, I got my people and, confused. Yeah, there were a lot of butts. There were a lot of butts this season. Should we talk about the game of butts? Because I know you love game it so butt. much. <laughs> I did. I was just really into being. There were a lot of dude booties, which I was very happy. I about. honestly and think was, a lot of the, a lot of the TNA this season was either torture porn or sexy butts of men. And I don't like the yeah. torture porn so much, but I appreciate the equal opportunity nudity that's happening more Yeah, often. I think they also, like, made a really good point of re- hair-removing male butts this season. Like, I've never I seen would... so many hairless man butts Yeah, <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> Not to, like, admit how many male Hairy butts. men you sleep with. <laughs> you know, sorry, I didn't was, go there. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Just because you've seen a butt doesn't mean you've had sex with the person attached to that butt. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> Guys, this is how this is how the beauty industry hurts men too. It's, it's okay if you have hair on your butt. That happens sometimes. It's okay. You, know? you gotta be Don't you. Don't be ashamed of your body. <laughs> do, do, you do you. You do you. You rock that hairy yeah. touch. I did once date someone who waxed his back. That was kind of hilarious. That's funny. Aww. I, I don't. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Everybody's gonna be happy with their own self, I guess. I, guys, I know. Aren't you glad that you're listening to Wyman Westeros for the hard hitting uh, butt hair talk that, that yeah, we this do? Is, this is three glasses in. Forgive me. <laughs> Nothing to forgive. Uh, also, like, so now let's talk about some more really disturbing things. Uh, let's talk about Theon. Let's talk about Theon in general. This entire Ugh. everything. Um, I don't know how to communicate the sad face I'm making in words, but it's a pretty <laughs> epic sad face. It's like the frowniest frown. I did I just make a really ugly like. I mean, no, I see it, guys. You know, I kind of like. I know it's awful, but part of me likes it because he's such a d bag. <laughs> and it's like he gets what's coming to him. He treats women like shit, and then he gets cheated by women who ultimately just fuck him over even more. Sorry, I'm swearing I, a lot today. So I kind of wish that he would also That's like okay. <laughs> just get treated poorly by women and get like knocked down a peg and maybe have Brandon Rickon like frame someone to try to burn him. I'm not sure I want to see his, his his 
wiener. Ying ding. Get. I don't know why I can't say penis. I don't know what to say. Let's say weenie. I don't. I don't. I don't really want to see his peener and veggies get chopped up. <laughs> that that is actually a conversation that we had is whether it was the peener or the peener and the veggies. I don't know. You know, I don't think it was a good situation for him either way. And I'm I'm gonna revel in my ignorance about it. Yeah, I'm gonna be was, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, having your dick cut off, like the amount of like things cut off of men this season, like pretty rough. But like Theon, I feel like it was um. Yeah, the ultimate suffering of a horn dog. Of a horn dog. <laughs> I can't imagine. It makes me sad, like really sad. Even though he is an awful person, I feel so bad for Theon. Like, and granted, like some of that is from my book reading experience. So this is a really weird thing I just thought of, and I might regret saying it in a minute because I haven't actually thought it through. But like, you know how um, there are people who are very much against circumcision on men. Yes. Yes. And they often are against it and compare it to female genital mutilation. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time, most female genital mutilation is just cutting off the clitoris, but sometimes it is actually like sewing up the hole. Whoa. And like really, really graphic. I took a class on this yeah, in it's college. Bad. It's really, really, really bad. Ugh. But basically Ugh. taking away like any possible like experience of pleasure in sex room and also just making it yeah. re- as painful as humanly possible for them. Yeah. I feel like if, I were to ever get into a conversation with a man who wanted to make that argument, I'd be like, no, this is the equivalent of that. <laughs> like, yeah. no, that's, that's, this, this scene not- is the equivalent of like what many women in, in many parts of the world go through with, with FGM and not, and, n- not, and not to say that that's, and not, and, and not to say that that's like, uh, like circumcision is like 100% cool all the time. No, I don't, I don't. That is that's that is not a conversation tre- I'm really having. No, that's treacherous territory, but it's it's not it's not equivalent in that way. Yeah. It's not. That that I I I agree with you. I hope I don't get yelled at. But. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that this is not <laughs> on topic at all and I don't know why I just took us there, but it came to my brain. That's okay. I, I have no filter apparently. Um Fine, you know. Do we want to talk about um the Bechtel test and our amazing amazing contributor of brilliant uh, ideas yeah. that we're very thankful so, to? So I'm going to go ahead and give a gigantic thank you to Ashley Shadowbrook. Um, a while back, she sent us an email with her thought, because she knew we'd be doing the other Wyvern Westeros, and she apparently went back and watched the entire freaking season, like, on speed, like, speed through. Um, on and speed. <laughs> on speed. Not on speed. What is she? Hold on. How dare you make for- those accusations to Ashley? <laughs> Ashley, sorry, if it makes you feel any better, I was having really bad allergic reactions last week, and I'm on oral steroids right now, so I'm on speed too, and oh. we're all cool. <laughs> oh, Betsy. That's so sad. Um, but <laughs> but uh, no, she, she watched the entire season, um, like, fast-forwarding it. And it took her about three and a half hours to do, which is really, I've I, I heard people doing things like that, but I'd never done it before. Um, and she went through and counted all the times. So, oh, well, first maybe we should define what the Bechdel test actually is in case you don't know. Uh, the Bechdel test is basically a way of analyzing movies, um, and to see how they relate to women. And basically the test is, do two women talk to each other in the movie, not about a man? You would be really surprised how many movies do not pass this test. It is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I, and this, oh, so this entire season, seven, seven conversations that passed the Bechdel test. And at first I'm like, that's pretty good. And then I was like, 
what the fuck? No, that's not. There were 70 that's hours of terrible television actually. on this season. Yes. So that probably hours. meant there was about, like, at the most, like, 20 minutes of conversation. Yeah. Not, where two of them were talking to each other, not about, and some of these actually kind of are about a man. It's not about, like, like and, a love relationship, but some of them are talking about their, their sons. And I would so. argue, this is not a criticism specifically of Game of Thrones, that, 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 I would say, not really even thinking about that statistic, that this season had some of the best conversations between two women being supportive and interested in each other of any television oh, yeah. show I've seen. And it still was only seven. Exactly. Yeah. Time. Like, and that's a commentary on television and women in the media and not necessarily on, like, at the fault of Game of Thrones. I think they, that the ones they had were amazing. And I'm really happy they were there, but it is a problem that this is like so notable. It's I I seriously I can't get over it. I'm so mad. I, I'm so mad thinking about it. I can't <laughs> understand. Because think about how many conversations there were like a man like battle stuff like cool things mm-hmm. like it, it's just oh my god it's in everything. It's so frustrating. Like if someone tries to be like no the media is not sexist that is some bullshit. Because yes it is. Like I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but it is. Mm-hmm. Like this is a problem. Yeah. Like, I, women talk about things other than just dudes. Look at us doing it. Three women right now talking about Game of Thrones like big nerves. We Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Drinking wine like we do. Um, so, Ashley, oh, first of all, if you want to follow Ashley, she's at ShadowbrookeAsh on Twitter. She's real cool. You should do that. Um, to thank her for giving us a good chunk of this episode. Yeah. We're, we're very appreciative, Ashley. Thank you. Your ideas are um, wonderful. So... Maybe we want to talk about the, the conversations that... Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Lady Only on a lot. <laughs> okay, yeah. So let's do that. Let's talk about Elena, who is, like, probably the baddest-ass woman in this entire season. Uh, her, and, her and Marjorie are, like, up there together. And they're oh, yeah. Tyrell Those Tyrell so. women are just rocking it, man. And like, I... Oh, I love them. I know. it's There's something really interesting to me about the Tyrells, because so the son in the family is gay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the women in the family are just... Fucking awesome! I mean, like, so they're, so, they're so dominant. They are on top of it. They've got. I mean, the fact that Oleana Tyrell can get Tywin Lannister to do what she wants is like what? Yeah, yeah. And she like makes Tyrion and Barry's like sniveling little boys. Like she just schools everyone, and she's amazing. Um, and Ashley Shadowbrook made this great point that I hadn't even thought about, um, where. Uh, Oleana, I believe, is talking to Sansa, and she says, come join my foolish flock of hens in the garden. Speak freely, child. We are only women here. And so when she's speaking to Sansa, she's, like, playing on her idea that talking to women is somehow safer for her. And it actually, I mean, it is. I think Marjorie and Oleana both have Sansa's, I mean, it's to their own purposes, but they have her best interests at heart far more than the Lannisters do. Um, And anyone else in in King's Landing do. Yeah, Sorry, it's it's so man. No, it's it's just really it's very interesting to me where there's this there's this thing where women talking to each other, like you said, it is safer for them. Like like mm-hmm. women being together, just women, is this this like sacred safe space mm-hmm. where they can actually get shit done in a patriarchal society. It's mm-hmm. very interesting to me. Um, the we like it's just like this whole theme of underestimating women. That's what Ashley had brought up in the document. It, it's absolutely throughout this entire season. And this scene where Sansa comes in to talk to Marjorie and to Elena to tell them, like, what's really going on with Joffrey, like, is an excellent example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because Olena and Marjorie like, are completely in control of things. When Sansa finally admits, like, yeah, Joffrey's a piece of shit. He is awful. They kind of go, ah, that sucks. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, the thing I was really expecting with all of that was that they were going to then somehow punish her and abuse her and screw her over. And mm-hmm. Sansa would be just, like, killed or something, you know? Yeah. And instead, it's really, like, they they haven't used that information to anyone else's benefit. They just yeah. have that information. And it's really about, you know, helping each other, you know, as the female members of the family to navigate the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When normally you think, like, you know, if, if she'd said that to Cersei, like, what would have happened? She would have been screwed. Totally yeah. screwed. Completely screwed. And, and I was nervous this entire season. I'm like, oh, man, like, is Marjorie going to, like turn on Sansa, is she going to, like, use this information against her? She doesn't. She really does seem to care about Sansa mm-hmm. a lot. And I and think I mean, that's really refreshing. It's really nice to see. Yeah. And, I mean, I think, so Sansa's character this season, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, um, was kind of, I thought, a little disappointing. I think that she was growing a lot in season two and learning a lot of really mm-hmm. hard lessons that I thought were going to make her a little harder and a little more strategic and a little smarter. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really... She kind of, like, reverted back this season. But the way she started processing things and the way that her situation started unfolding, it gave a really great avenue for the show to have moments of female characters supporting her. Like, you have Marjorie, mm-hmm. you have Sansa, you have Olana, and you have Shay. Yep. And they're... Women, uh, women helping women. It's, like, it's, that's what we it's talked a, about in exactly. our last women Westeros. There's a really like, good avenue of a lot of women trying to help Sansa survive and trying to yeah. help her get out of the situation she's in and to trying to protect her. Not and because it would that, benefit... I mean, Marjorie a little bit, sort of. Like, it would benefit her family. But, like, Shay has no obligation or benefit to helping protect Sansa, nor does Roz, and they both try to. Yeah. Just because... I mean, Roz has this, like, interesting conversation where she has this attachment to Sansa because they rang the bells um, at Winterfell the, whole, the day she was born, and she's got this, like, sort of hometown girl thing for her a little bit. That's a thing. I don't know what I'm saying. but She's she, an affection towards her. Affection. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Shay clearly learns to, like, love Sansa in a very, like, little sisterly fashion, I think. Yeah. Um, it... I, I think it's interesting. Sorry, this like just popped in my brain, and I haven't completely thought it out. So we'll we'll see what happens as it comes out of my mouth. But um, I think there's a stereotype of women being catty towards one another and not being able to have friendships towards one another, mm-hmm. and girls being like, "Oh, I just rather hang out with guys because girls are so catty and I hate them." Um, and this whole thing subverts that completely, and I love it. Absolutely. Like um, all these, like you said, all these women trying to help Sansa. It doesn't even... It gives them nothing. It gives them nothing. Like, I mean, I guess, like, with Marjorie and um, Elena, like, it gives them information, but not that much. Like, Sansa doesn't have that much to offer. No, it's not really worth the effort for what they get out of it beyond but they just do anyway. being helpful. Well, one thing they that do- I see with um, Marjorie and her power is, like, the strength in making friends versus making enemies, and the power of female leadership is, like, a different alternative to the sort of ruling by fear of Joffrey. And to me, Marjorie represents, you know, that kind of female politician of, like, with her with the orphans and mm-hmm. really genuinely seeming like she cares. Um, but at the same time, clearly it's strategic, too. And I think that Marjorie, you know, you look at her and sort of where she and Cersei come into conflict, 
And Cersei's kind of trying to play the game like a man, but Marjorie is playing the game as a woman. And I think that's mm-hmm. st- similar to Ole- to Oleana. Is, mm-hmm. is that how you pronounce it? Um, I think Olena. Olena. I could yeah. do it wrong. Sorry. Um, Olena. Um, I think that, like, that's the... In some ways, that's why they're so powerful, is that they're not trying to play the game like men and then being screwed like men, mm-hmm. but that they're really playing the game as women, using their strengths as women, and um, having more influence in some ways. And that's, I think, what I love about both of them as, as you know, female characters. So, yeah. And I, well, I think I it's... Think, Sorry. Well, I think what's just so interesting about what you just said is that their strength is clearly that they're playing, not just their strength as women, but their strengths as who they are. And I think that, like, we've talked about, like, comparing Cersei to um, Yara Asha Greyjoy and saying, oh, Cersei wants to, to have power like a man, and Yara Asha Greyjoy does, and look at this contrast. But Yara Asha Greyjoy has power as herself. And Cersei is trying to have power not as herself. And you can see that in that really interesting conversation that Tywin had with her where he was like, I don't not trust you because you're a woman. I don't trust you because you're not as smart as you think you are. And you're not actually, like, going to be capable of doing the things that you want to do because you don't actually know yourself and you don't know your strengths. You're just jealous of other people and how their strengths are working for them. So like she only sees Jamie as being strong and she wants to be strong the same way. She's not taking the time to figure out what her strengths are and how to play them. She's just trying to be something else. It is, it is this really sad binary though, where Mm -hmm. because Olena and Marjorie's strengths are more on the feminine side, they're able to work with that. Whereas it Mm -hmm. seems like Cersei's personality is more like stereotypically masculine. It's true. And that is really hard. She really can't make it work. And it, and it's all because of the concept of like, these character traits are feminine and these character that's, traits that's, are masculine. And that's some bullshit. Now, Yara is able to rise above that. Yeah. Because she's in a weird culture. And for whatever reason, her douchebag dad somehow is like okay with it. I don't know how that... I don't understand that. I, I guess I think because... it's the ironborn, right? I think it just serves his purposes better. Like, he real, I think that he just knows that he'll be better served by getting over that. And I, I don't... And I don't think it's that the ironborn are, like, particularly progressive. I, I think it's a lot more of, like, they're more concerned with, like, can you do a thing? Oh, you can do the thing? Awesome. Because, yeah. like, they revile Theon completely because he doesn't conform to, like, their society's rules, whereas Yara does. So it's not she's kind of able to like do the gender bend thing a little bit more um even though like she she's definitely the exception not the rule there. You don't see a lot of women among the iron board doing what she's doing but they allow it because she's good at what she does. Yeah. So that yeah. that works out for her whereas for Cersei she's not in a in a you know culture and society that allows for that and mm-hmm. it really hurts her and turns her into a very bitter person. Yeah. Um cuz she's very angry at all the men around her because she wants to be like them and even though she has those character traits that are te- you know stereotypically masculine no one will ever let her forget that she's a woman and she can't do it yeah okay so while we're, ta- while we're talking about underestimating women i think we need to also talk about danny because danny like really plays up that whole people underestimating her to her advantage mm-hmm. uh, the oh, whole, yeah. i'm only a young girl unlearned in the ways of war i was so happy when they showed because that's a big thing in the book and i was really happy when they showed that on the show too because like i don't know like we were just talking about with 
Cersei trying to be like a man, whereas, like, Marjorie and Olenna are, like, playing up their, like, womanly ways. Like, yeah. Eddie totally does that, too. Mm-hmm. But, but she's still, she's not, like, weak, or... It, no, she's, she's fierce. Not, like, she's she's very fierce. fierce. She's so Tyra fierce. would approve. She, she's fierce. Yeah. <laughs> but she only screws people over who aren't respectful and decent. Yeah. I, I think that Danny has a really um, admirable sense of justice. Like, mm-hmm. she... It, it, and it's hard um, as a leader. She's in charge of so many. So many people are. She's responsible for so many people. Like, mm-hmm. and, and she really she feels that. Like, Danny is like what you would want a leader to be like. She very much cares about the people that are under her. And like the whole subplot with when she acquires the Unsullied, part of the reason she does that is because she knows they won't, you know, rape and pillage. That, that's right. her thing. Um, and she wants to make sure that even though she does want to conquer and wants to, you know, take over Westeros, she doesn't want to cause any harm, any more harm than she has to. I mean, she, she, has, she has no desire to kill innocents or to no ruin people's lives at all. You know, like, she's no. very aware of, of, I mean, she wants, she's demanding this war, but and she's also, and I think it's Jorah who makes that point to her, that, like, yes, the Unsullied are slaves, but your any other army you would have would rape and pillage and cause a huge judgment to the mm-hmm. land you're trying to rule. Exactly. Um, it's the better of two And she people. takes that very seriously, I think. But I think that Jorah knows to make that point is also to Jorah's credit, too. Like, he knows to which heartstrings of hers to pull. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a, that's a really, I don't know, it's an interesting thing with Danny's character. Um, granted, this has been, it's different on, on the show than it was in the books, but with Danny being, I mean, essentially statutory rape by Drogo, like, her, I don't know, her desire to protect you, even though she eventually does love Drogo, which you can argue as being a little Stockholm Syndrome-ish, um, mm-hmm. she cares a lot. Like, she has some experience with being treated as less than, less than human, because she's, she's essentially treated by her brother. Like, she's treated yeah. as, you know, subhuman. She's a piece of meat to him. And I kind of wonder, I don't think we get a lot of exposure to what Danny goes through with, um, crap with his name, not Viserion, that's the name of the dragon, Viserys. Viserys. (laughs) That guy. I made it extra late. Um, what she goes through with Viserys as his sister, potentially his victim of rape, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's very interesting. It's not unthinkable to think that she was probably raped a lot by him. Well, I don't think she was right because they talk about her still having her virginity. Uh, that's what yeah, they were, I he's. I think that it's that's like actually, the fact that he owns her sexuality and that she's kind of, like, yeah. even her sexuality is something he has ownership over mm-hmm. is pretty. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah. it's messed up. Well, and he mentions actually that the only reason that he has not raped her is because he needs to be able to sell her to someone who can get him power. Right. So that is the only yeah. thing that her virginity him from is doing. a valuable so like thing. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, and, and it was absolutely still a very abusive relationship. He was very abusive to her, even yeah. if he didn't rape her. It was still really messed up. Um, so I think that, that Danny, like, not I mean, only she, does she just seem to have, like, a very, like, caring and sweet personality in general, but I think that her time as, as being abused, um, as being the downtrodden one, has really made her identify with the people that she, that will be her subjects. Mm-hmm. It makes her be a better She's a lot of empathy. Ruler. Yeah, she it's does. Interesting. I hadn't really hard. thought about That's that before. Hard. Yeah, like I think of her as kind of the privileged, rich, pretty lady. Yeah. you know. So to think of her as like having been owned like an object, and that empathy is actually something I mm-hmm. 
hadn't really thought about a ton. Yeah, I mean, clearly she has this very problematic hero complex that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Um, Yes. But I think a lot of it's coming from her own place of experiencing being commodified as a sexual Mm -hmm. object and wanting to prevent other people from being dehumanized that way and wanting Mm -hmm. to prevent people from maiming and killing innocents. I think that that... Also, I think, like, her being the mother of dragons, she has this very um, sort of ultimate female figure, almost godly role as a... or goddess role Mm -hmm. in the show. She's a great mother goddess. Yeah, Yeah, you know, she's she's the mother of the most powerful creatures in this entire realm, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that her role translates, yeah, as as the mother of all sort of, you know, people beings or whatever it yeah. is, you know. It's, it's pretty I really like the concept. I hadn't even thought, I hadn't thought about that at, at all until now. Like, the concept of, like, daddy being, like, daddy as goddess <laughs> in a way. Like, yeah. I mean, but she is, like, she's very otherworld. Like, she, I mean, granted, there are other characters in the series. Well, she's very supernatural. Yeah. She is. She's very supernatural. Like, she, essentially, when she brings those dragon eggs, when she hatches them, like, she brings magic back to the entire world. Like, that's pretty powerful. Like, And I mean, like, cool. Melisandre is magical and powerful, but mm-hmm. if she were to be a goddess, she would be a little bit more Athena-like, I think. Whereas, like, yeah, Melisandre yeah. is very much um, a receptacle, and she's kind of translating. Like, I feel like she's more of a vessel for something yeah. rather than actually, yes, um, like taking charge. Like, she always speaks Cold about things thing. in terms of. She doesn't seem to have like. Yeah, in yeah. terms of the of, of the red god yeah. rather than her own agency, and I feel like exactly. Daenerys is so her own ruler. She's her own lord, you know. Yeah, she reports yeah. to no god. And even like, even Melisandre mentions like her magic is more powerful, and we and we the reader and like show watcher know it's because Danny brought the dragons back. Once the dragons came back, all the magic in the hope- world is more powerful, and so Melisandre really owes her magic to Danny too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really hope that we are they coincide. Do they coincide at least? Yeah, it would be really awesome to see the two of them interact sometime. I would really like Ooh, that. Yeah, I have no reason to believe that's going to happen, and I haven't read the fifth book. It'd be but cool, I'm, though. It'd be really cool. I'd like that. There's a lot. There are a lot of people in this series that, like, I wish, like, I could have like an alternate, not alternate reality dinner party with them. Real, like, <laughs> you want to write a fan fiction for them? I want you a want, fiction. Where you want to ship Danny and Melisandre? Oh, yeah, I will make a recommendation if you love like female goddess figures. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a feminist and I love that slightly yeah. mystical mythology around women. Yeah. But uh, the Cleopatra biography that came out a few years ago. If you're really, really interested in that. in stories about powerful women that are sort of otherworldly, it's amazing. I really recommend it. I, yeah, I'm putting it on my list. Yeah, yeah, and when you read about that era, and then I started reading about ancient Greece afterwards, actually, and when you read about that time, you realize where so much of um, George R. R. Martin's references come from, because all of the crazy Mm -hmm. shit that happens in these novels is, like, typical fanfare. Like, Cleopatra married her brother, two of her brothers, and poisoned both of them. (laughs) Get it, girl. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that, probably. (laughs) That's, like, kind of terrible. Yeah, like, crazy. It's it's Miss Andrea, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Sorry, MRAs, we hate you. Yeah. Yeah, like marrying your brother, (laughs) killing him, marrying another one, killing him. Yeah. And then seducing one of the most powerful leaders in the world. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
Good for her. I gotta get on that Cleopatra. I gotta get on she's, that Cleopatra. She's a crazy, oh, awesome bitch. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> awesome. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about as far as underestimating women's section, or were there? Um, move on to something. While we're on Danny, can we talk about okay. her and Miss Andy first of all? Yeah. Um, because that's really fucking awesome. Yeah. And that relationship is great, and Miss Andy is so great. And I love Miss Andy as a character. I mean, like, the actress who plays her, I think, does a really good job. Like her, her facial expressions are really great. Like, yeah. She doesn't talk. She talks some. She doesn't talk a lot. Extremely but, uh, little. That, yeah. She is. She's so teeny. But when she's in the background, like just reacting to things, like just watch her. I don't know. I, I'm always really impressed by how she reacts to things. Like that one scene where um, the guy the sniffs her crotch. Yeah, in her face. Yeah. It's oh my so god, like, I totally forgot about that. So gross. <laughs> I love it. She's like hurt. She's like hurt. Like, why did you do that to me? <laughs> why are you smelling my fish pie? Yeah. What the hell? And he like doesn't he like smack her butt? I don't know. That's, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. That's ridiculous. But but her the actress does a really good job with that scene. I think. Yeah. Um, I know. Um, I, she's I think Cindy. In, I think Miss Sandy and Danny's relationship in the show is very interesting compared to the books. Because in the books, Miss Sandy's much younger. Mm-hmm. So that plays up the whole, like, Danny's mother and Miss Sandy's, like, kind of her protege, like, kind of her child in a way. But in the show, they're much more equals, which is yeah. also really interesting and nice to see, I think. I, well, I, I, I always the conversation about languages was so interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, Miss Sandy, like, speaking to her kind of not, I mean, like, she wasn't overstepping her bounds. She was being very careful. But she was, like comfortable being a little like critical and honest you know and that's yeah. that's not easy for anyone to do for someone they are calling their queen and yeah um, i also i like that she like missandy's smart she's very smart super smart and i like that they're showing her being a little more smart than yeah. danny who's a queen and like this yeah. like goddess figure uh, i thought that was really neat to show that that was really neat and i mean i love the line where um missandy's like oh Vela margalis and danny's like mm-hmm. yes all men must die, but we are not men. So it's like it's establishing themselves oh, as this alternate man. plane of power I exchange. Love that. that is so fucking awesome. Sorry, pardon my my Francais, but I, do you guys listen awesome. to our podcast? We cuss all the time. <laughs> like, and we're actually, I'm, I'm on the. I, I, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to say that. I'm like probably the worst offender. We've actually discussed this before. I'm like absolutely 100 percent the worst offender of like me and the dudes in the podcast. I curse absolutely the most. <laughs> I, I I blame it on my repressed Baptist upbringing, and then I have to get all the curses out. I remember you were very <laughs> anti swearing in high school. You got to get your your groove on now. Yeah. I never I never did it, and now like all those swears that I didn't say from like you know the time I was born until I was like 18 years old, they come out now. I'm well, good. We love your subversive southern. Girl yeah. attitude. You're like, yeah, bless, you're, bless you're everyone's heart. With the boys, we like that. Yeah, <laughs> podcast yeah. with the boys at least. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. Hold them up. So, what do we want to talk about next? There's so many. I feel like um, I feel overwhelmed. There's a lot of. Th- have so we talked enough things. about um, Danny Ham Lincoln saving no, all the brown people? <laughs> yeah, well, I feel there, like we had to talk about that because that's really fucking. Danny Lincoln. I actually, yeah. I read that in Ashley Shadowbrook's document. Yeah, that so was big good. props to you, girl. Yeah, I stole one. it, and it's hilarious. So I don't know if all of you even know what we're talking. So the very, very last scene of the season, when Danny goes to, to talk to all the sli- the freed slaves, and um, oh my god, is she in Yunkai or is she? Crap, Astapor. No, Yunkai. That's where she's in Yunkai. She's in Yunkai. God. 
I'm getting all my cities mixed up. Um, but when she she's waiting for the slaves to come Jennifer, out. these are real cities. Be apologetic. They're real places <laughs> sorry, you have to get to sometimes. Sorry, I don't have my geography. I don't know if I want to go over there. It seems really hot, and I'm already in hot land in Boston. It's kind of deserty. Like Although, I want to go to Beyond the Wall. That's where I think I'd like to live in the cold. I, I, I'd like to go to, like, Dorne. I think Dorne would be nice. Dorne? Dark seems kind of badass. King's, King's Landing or, seems okay, no. but I don't I don't want to like live dirty. with those people though. I don't really want to be. No, you need to go to where the, go live where the Tyrells live because that that seems like at the, yeah. the, the High Garden actually High seems Garden like the most nice. legit place to live. I mean, yeah. like it's I could hang out at, like river and gardens. Yeah. I could hang out with like Pete, I could like be like Marjorie legit. Tyrell's handmaid, and I'll bet my life wouldn't be too bad there. Yeah, I can that. sounds that. awesome. It sounds really fun. Can, we can I, talk I, about, like, all the men that we like to sleep with. <laughs> oh, my God. We should talk about that. Keep that That's in your great. brain after we talk about Danny. We want to talk about that, too. Um, yeah, man, this Danny scene is problematic. Like, why did they do that? Why did they do that? Like, Beautiful, pure white so woman saves brown people. Why? Yeah. Why do we have to have that happen? Complex. White now, ge- white beautiful pure white lady saves like generically pseudo ethnic kind of like tribal, seemingly slightly yeah. stupid, helpless, like, like dirty looking people. It's so racist. It's like, so bad. Like and that the image when they like zoom. First of all, like on top of it just cool. being like shitty, like super Lion King ass. Like this was bad. Like, yeah. Exactly. They zoom (laughs) up and it's literally a little dot of white and like a sea of brown. Yeah. Why? I just don't get it. I don't. I thought HBO was better. Right? Like how? Yeah. well, maybe. I don't know. Like, they had to have known how it would come across, though, right? Like, but like, like, right? I had to yeah. seen that. As I don't know who said it in the notes, but like, the people of, of, of Yunkai are not homogeneously brown. Like, they're very no, mixed they're like, ethnic groups. Like, there are people of all different races there, so why do they have to make it, like, you know, violet eyes, silver hair saves all the yeah. brown people? <laughs> Like what? What does that? How does that help? What does that do? I don't. I don't like that. Yeah. Also, the fact that it's slave populations that she's yeah. saving, and they're all brown. It's just like very. Um, and then the fact that like they all want to be saved by her, and they support her. So and they start calling her mother immediately. It's like it's a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a little kind of. I don't know. It feels kind of ignorant, and it feels like. Yeah, this like weird. I don't know, especially being like American, given our history with like native people, it just makes me exactly. uncomfortable. Like, oh, white people are here to save you and bring and, you into and kill you lives. and send you yeah. to the shittiest bits of real estate. Yeah. Now, the only thing I the only thing I will say is that I I have some hope because George R. R. Martin has been mostly pretty good about subverting stereotypes, um, and and there is mm-hmm. a there's a thought that surely the people who make this show are not that stupid to know, like to not realize like how that looks. So maybe they did it for a reason. And maybe this whole like, daddy is white savior thing. Maybe that will be dealt. Maybe it'll blow up in her face a little bit and she'll learn a cool lesson. And we'll all learn a cool lesson. Yeah. Because she does, she really does have a, she has a savior complex. And, and like we've talked about, like that's, that's wonderful that she wants, that she wants to help people who are subjugated. That's great. But 
if you are going to need a leader, like, sometimes you have to make ruthless decisions, and sometimes, like, sometimes it doesn't work like that. Like, being, like, there's no, like, simple storyline of, like, this person comes in and saves these people. Done. Everything is happy and good. Yeah. If we, that's exactly like, like what um, Ramsey Snow said is like, if you think this has a happy ending, you've not been paying attention. That's not how. That is like my mantra for the rest of this show. <laughs> yeah. It really is like, yeah. just to like reiterate that, I think I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before, but like, that line, I feel like is like the, like, the catchphrase of Game of Thrones. Like, like it that is, sums it up. It is so much more poignant to me than Winter is Coming. It just, it's oh, a, absolutely. you know, like, that is what I think of now. Uh, and, especially, it's, 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 yeah. and especially for season three, with, like, how fucking sad <laughs> the last couple of episodes are. Like, it's it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. But I just, I hope, like, that the symbolism of Danny, the white speck, in the midst of brown, there were, like, a couple of, like, like less brown people in that crowd, but that crowd was, that crowd was brown. Like, it was brown. And Yeah. Like, yeah. I have. I hope. I hope that that stereotype, that um, not stereotype. What's the word I'm looking for? That trope. I hope that trope is turned on its head. I hope. Yeah. I believe on its head. Yeah. I hope so too. (laughs) Please. I I can have enough faith and patience that that, that something better will happen from there. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, uh, I can. And that's. I don't. There's just ways that that could have been done. That it wouldn't have been so bad. Honestly, even if they had just, like, not lifted her up on their shoulders. If she had, like, walked through them. Oh, my God. That would have been uh, Oh, my God. Just, like, not even. Like, you can do that. No. Just get a more ethically diverse mob. Get different extras. And, and, and That's I all you need. That, I know that people talked. I guess they were filming this in Morocco. And that was part of the issue. Like, the, all the extras were from Morocco. But, man, guys, I don't know. I don't know. I don't that you came up with, and it looks pretty bad. It looks (laughs) bad. So maybe you got to think about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That. that, And I just was pissed to be honest because, like, I just didn't feel like that last scene was like a good season three ender. Like the two enders for season two and season one were awesome. Like, really cool. So great. Season we get the dragons. Second season we get fucking white walkers. Season three we get Danny crowd surfing on people. No. I don't know. The thing I wanted to happen is a spoiler. Me too. The, I know. The, I know the, the supernatural thing that could also fit with the yep. theme of the episode being called Misa, which is mother. Yep. Yep. It could have been a great thing. It. And they didn't choose to do I it. Agree. And I don't think I should tell you what it is because it's going to be a good thing. It's really good. Nope, we won't say it because <laughs> it's not come up. And I think it, and I think it will come up. But, yeah. No, it will. Those of you who are book readers know what we're talking about. So. Okay. Anyway. Anywho. Oh, so, so I guess um, that's kind of it for I feel like we've kind of talked about I think I think we can let Danny rest there was a couple yeah. things we I, we mentioned while we were talking about that I wanted to come back to and I forgot already because I'm terrible oh I, I know one so you were making jokes about how we would hang out in High Garden and like talk about all the people that we wanted to have sex with with Marjorie yes <laughs> can I like really cool can oh, I yeah. read the quote by Marjorie because I just yes. think this is like it. well so she starts this conversation with Sansa about like Trying to get her to be okay with marrying Tyrion. Like, very mm-hmm. supportive friend thing to do because mm-hmm. Sansa's kind of stuck and she's being really unfair about what a fucking babe Tyrion is and she's being dumb. Yeah, what the hell, Sansa? Uh, for like, real. I, I feel, understand Tyrion's not supposed to be a babe, but like, I would Everybody marry Peter Dinklage in half a heartbeat. Uh, yeah, done. 
done. Um, and she has this great conversation. And the first thing she says, uh, Sansa's like kind of feeling bad because she's whining. And then Marjorie's like, oh, well, look at me. I have to marry Joffrey. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, it's okay. My son will be king. Sons learn from their mothers. I plan to teach mine a great deal. So she's like already understanding her position of power is like, this king's going to suck. I'm going to do my best as queen to make him suck less. And I'm going to make the next king so much better by myself. Mm-hmm. Like she's clearly so self-empowered in that moment of like, this is what I know I can do. And I'm okay with it. Amazing. But no, here's the other, I, on one hand, I'm like, that's awesome. Like she can have so much power, like through her child and like raising it. And that's awesome. But then in my brain, I'm like, but think about Cersei. And remember that whole conversation that Cersei has mm-hmm. with Tyrion where she's talking about Joffrey and how he was so sweet when he was young and then, like, completely mm-hmm. out of her control now. So, on the one hand, like, Marjorie, that's cool that you're going to, like, raise your son to be king and that's going to be great and, like, you're going to shape him. But you can only do so much. <laughs> you, you can, can but so much. And to then, be yeah. fair... To, For example, Catelyn and exactly Rob. right. I mean, I think, but I think it's more of like raising your son to be a good person who is respectful of other people. That's true. That's true. And as long as Cat- he's not Rob a Stark is a good person who wanted to be a good king who was respectful of other people in their lives. That's right. It would have been a good king. It would have been a great king. And, and Cersei did not raise Joffrey to understand the plight of others, be respectful of anyone else besides, and she just raised him to be. A little shit because yeah, that's true. No one that was she was so unhappy did a good job of it. You know, like like you can have, have a really difficult child, and it could be beyond your control. And there were definitely things that are not Cersei's fault, but she was not a good parent. I mean, she was a loving mother, but she did not make an effort to raise Joffrey to be a good, conscientious, ethical king. Yeah. Well, she's not a good person herself. No, she's not. <laughs> so and that's I think, kind of, you know, yeah, makes yeah. it hard. Then um, you can't control your son. You can't control someone else fully beyond the age of, I would say, probably 14 or 15. Yeah. Uh, right. But you can teach them certain values, I think, and hope mm-hmm. that those values stick. <laughs> you know, and I think that's right. clearly what Marjorie so, is planning on doing. Yeah. Uh, that's, Which that's I like. the way that she hopes to, to have influence. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, and, and in her situation, what else? She seems just, it's interesting because it, if, where you have Cersei, who's essentially in a, in a situation like, very much like Marjorie's, um, and she is super angry at it. Marjorie could totally be angry about her situation, but it's like, you know what? I'm going to use this yeah. for my own good. Yeah, Marjorie. I'm going to work with this. And in I'm some ways, I want it. Yeah, I want to say she's like resigned to it, but she's not. She doesn't feel disenfranchised by it. She's like, yeah. okay. She doesn't feel, she's not limited by it. She's no, not. She's like, she doesn't this, care. This is she my lot. Knows. Here's what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, you I know? mean, she really seems like, to look forward to the opportunity for herself to gain. Mm-hmm. And exactly. she is and thinking to, really forward for herself and, and making for, the most of it. And for her possibility to affect good. Yeah. Like, she's not just yeah. out for Marjorie. Like, she's out to use her values to impact good on people. Like, yes, yeah, she mm-hmm. works with the orphans, because it makes her look good. But she, I mean, I, this was in Ashley Shadowbrook's um, commentary as well. Like, yeah. but she genuinely seems to want to make good in all those prompts. She's not just doing it for the show. She's doing it because she wants to do it. Right. You know? It just happens to look really good, too. Yeah, it does. It's <laughs> yeah. a mutually Cersei, beneficial Cersei thing. Doesn't, 
Yeah, yeah, Cersei doesn't think it's genuine, but I, I do, like, I think we've seen, at least thus far on the show, that, that Marjorie does seem very genuine, and, like, with mm-hmm. the way she, you know, treats yeah. Sansa, mm-hmm. um, she does seem like a good person. She understands the game, and she knows how to play the game and be ruthless as she needs to be, um, to get things done, but, yeah. you know, she's still a good person at the end of it. She is, um, can we yeah. Also, um, can, can we talk about Marjorie's other quote where she's talking to Sansa about I was just going to suggest that. Can I read it? <laughs> it's my favorite. Okay. Yes, please do. Some women like tall men. Some like short men. Some like hairy men. Some like bald men. Gentlemen, rough men, ugly men, pretty men, pretty girls. Most women don't know what they like till they've tried it. And sadly, so many of us get to try so little before we're old and gray. Yeah, talk yeah, about sexual maturity. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. She and she says pretty girls. I knew she said that. I knew she said that when I was watching it. I was like, I heard that. I heard that in there. I'm glad that was... I, I do feel like in Game of Thrones, there's there's homosexuality with men, but the, the women aren't shows, like, at least in the shows so far, mm-hmm. other than in, like, you know, Littlefinger's Whorehouse, which... Is not female really sexuality count. with other females playing itself out for its own pleasure. Yeah. Exactly, they're doing it yeah. for performance, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that Marjorie mentioned it. It makes me wonder about her. I'm like, what's your hmm? What do you? Wait. What she got going on? <laughs> yeah, you like a little. Oh my gosh! I'll Marjorie. bet there's so many people shipping. Well, also um, her brother's gay. Marjorie so and Sansa, though. I'll bet there's so much fanfiction. Huh? Anyway. Huh. That's anyway. very interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy that later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that I'll Marjorie like that. embraces female agency in sexual relationships when every other, basically every other like hetero relationship here is all about like women kind of not having a choice and not really, it's not even about what they yeah. want. It's about them kind of accepting their fate and making the most of it or not. Like Marjorie is yeah. one of the few women who really is like, you know, know what you want and know what get, you know, know what you have pleasure in. Meanwhile, we don't really know what she likes because she's been married off to first a gay guy who's having sex with her brother and then, you know, a psychopath <laughs> who just wants to crossbow yeah. some ladies. So, you know. Yeah. It's a little um, but she seems, contradictory. She's aware but. of it, though. We don't know what Marjorie's gotten up to. That's the thing. Like, I mean, she's she a mysterious like very, creature. She seems very aware of these things to have had no experience at all. And, and then Sa- and, and, and right after she says this, Sansa's all like, oh, did your mom tell you about that? Was that was so cute. And, and Marjorie, like, has this moment where she's like, does she seriously not get this right now? And she's like, yeah, my mom told me. Sweet yeah, summer child. <laughs> yeah. Think, think about it, though. Like, in a world like Westeros, like, how are you really going to, like, confirm that someone's a virgin? Like, how? Yeah. You don't. Because they're so, like, it's, I feel like it'd be really easy to, like, fake the blood on the sheets thing. And also, not everyone... They ride a lot of horses. It, they, mention <laughs> they, they mention that in the books, that, like, oh, some highborn girls, that doesn't happen to them. So I feel like as long as you don't get pregnant, which moon tea totally exists to, which is, like, sounds like plan B tea to me. Yeah. <laughs> the plan B tea of Westeros. Plan um, B tea, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> as long Can we as get it over the counter? <laughs> can we get, oh, hey, now you can. In the, 15 and over, space. baby. There you go. Can we not uh, talk about abortion in this country you, right now, though? Because I'm going to go down an angry hate spiral. Yeah, let's not. I'm going to get upset. Um, <laughs> but essentially, in, West, in Westeros, though, as long as you don't get pregnant and you're a hybrid lady, kinda, and, and as long as you don't get pregnant and you're discreet, kind of seems like you can do some stuff. 
Yeah. Seems yeah. like maybe Marguerite knows about that. I don't yeah. know. I think it's interesting. Sansa is very innocent, though. Just, like, totally... She's a sweet, sour like, child. I really I enjoy that. Like, <laughs> it's like Sansa <laughs> was the sheltered Baptist girl. And now she's hanging out with, like, cool girls at the high school, and she's like, what? So, when I was in high school, I was on the cheerleading squad, and we were on the cheerleading bus to go to a football game, and the girls were talking about some stuff in the back, and I was like, I want to be cool and talk to them, and they called me the Virgin Mary and didn't let me talk with them. Oh, cheekums. It was very embarrassing for me, but I was very, um, I was very unaware of these things in high school, so. Yeah, I was very virgin in high school, too. Yeah, so <laughs> I was I was I like trying to pretend I wasn't, but I was very virtual in high school too. I needed a, a Marjorie to come be my <laughs> in high school. I did not have any to do that for me, unfortunately. Yeah. Marjorie, Marge, why can't you be my friend? And also, why are you not real? What's up with that? Yeah. Why are you real? Can we hang out? I'll drink. <laughs> I'll give you some wine. She's got plenty of it. She's from the freaking um, High Garden. I know. Got like all the wine. I'll bet she oh, doesn't yeah. have Malbecs. I got, actually, we're we're drinking a Tempranillo right now. I'll bet Marjorie would like some. Oh, she would. Mione. Yeah. Yeah, it has a little like design product of Spain. I like Spain. Screw uh, top, not too bad. I like screw tops. They make my life easier. Look, the screw top is great, and the only reason that corks is because is our is our are because people are snobs. Because corks, well, number I, one, are an endangered species of tree, and we shouldn't really be using them. And also, like. Most of the reasons that a wine can go bad are because of the cork. So everyone, yeah. just use screw top wine. Just do it. I mean, I think if you're going to, like, invest in a bottle of wine that's, like, I will say $50 or more, a cork probably helps with all those stupid things you would think about when you're investing in a bottle of wine that expensive. All well, the like, wine I drink wait. is under $20. Yes. None of that needs a cork. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the sweet spot of wine for me is $12. Yeah, it's perfect. Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's my sweet spot. Too. I'm in grad school, guys. Like, you should just be glad I'm not drinking three buck chuck. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Like, exactly. I, I'm not drinking free anything free about that. Is an improvement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, I feel like he said. I feel like we're deep in the wine now. And we are. I, I want to bring us back to talking about sexuality stuff a little bit, and also okay. the way that Joffrey's sexuality is unpacked this season. Yes. Yes. Which is we'll super talk about that. So. Um. So. Um, so in, in Ashley's doc that she, she wrote, um, she kind of talks about how Joffrey's sexuality is, is essentially up a bit up until season three, pretty non-existent. Um, he does not seem to be super interested in those things. Cause remember last season when Tyrion's all like, oh, he's just being a jerk. Cause he needs to clear Get the lights. pipes. So, yeah. so clear the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clear the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> He's all clogged up, man. He's he needs some help. But that's not real, that's right? Not, well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think. I'm that's sorry. Let's continue. I don't understand genitals. Um, <laughs> but he didn't. Joffrey did not actually care about that at all. Like he did not want to have sex with the prostitutes. He wanted to watch the prostitutes hurt each other because he's a sadistic little shit. Um, but this season we kind of see an escalation. Mm-hmm. I, it's all, it honestly it kind of almost reminds me of like a serial killer in a way. Yeah, like, and he like wants to rape Sansa on her wedding night, and yeah, that's like the first time that we really hear him talking about actually wanting to have like, sex. Yeah, doing sex. 
Like, he doesn't even talk about that at yeah. all. Um, it doesn't seem to be a concern for him. And the only reason he wants to do that, obviously, is because he wants to hurt Sansa. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do see this interesting development with Marjorie. So we know that Marjorie is smart. Mm-hmm. She knows how to manipulate when she needs to. And she plays into this desire that Joffrey has um, to to hurt, to... I don't know. Yeah. She plays into this violent thing for him. Whereas before Joffrey's watching the one prostitute hit the other, Marjorie shows an interest in killing things, and Joffrey's like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. That gives me a wee and boner in my boner place. Uh, it does. Like, he's he, so gross, he's tot- he, But he's totally flirting with, like, he's flirting with Marjorie. He cares about cares about Marjorie, yeah. if you can use that He's interested in Marjorie, I would say. Well, I think he, she's he like, is. she's playing up the sadism in order mm-hmm. to appeal to, in order to attract him, you know? She gets it, and she's mm-hmm. also kind of um, using her own, you know, hunger for power and stuff to, like, find a Feel connection it. with him, you know? Yeah. So he plays directly into her hands, like, no problem. And no one has been able to handle Joffrey, like, at all. Yeah. Except for her. Yeah. In a little bit, um, Tywin. Yeah. Tywin can do, but but not... Tywin can send him to bed without supper. Exactly. I love it. (laughs) But, but, But somehow Marjorie makes Joffrey want to do what she wants him to do. Yeah. Which is, I don't even... It's, imp- it's impressive. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, it's kind of shitty that she has to act like she likes to kill things to make it happen. But he's like the most powerful, and well, not the most powerful, but he's a very powerful person in the realm, and he's very dangerous. And she somehow manipulates him anyway. Yeah, it's, man, I don't even know. It's crazy. Yeah. Super crazy. She just like how do you like she? I think both her and Olena. Like, I'm assuming Olena must have just like really trained her. To, to be good at these things, to read other people, to know. She's held her up to a very high standard of emotional and social intelligence that is just, like, yeah. served her so well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Where is Marjorie's mom in all this? Like, that was just a thing. I, she's not really around. Never heard like, of her. No idea. And what's interesting is Olena is very critical of all the men in her family, of Loris and of Marjorie's dad. She's like, mm-hmm. they're basically a bunch of fools. Yeah. Um, and she's yeah. There's really no mention of Mama Tyrell at all. So I don't know. Well, yeah. it's it's. I wonder. Like I think that Olena and Marjorie have the same concept of power that Tywin does, where being the number one person in power is actually not that great. It's better to be like a couple steps back and pulling the strings. Be the puppet master versus the puppet. It's yeah. always better to be Dick Cheney and Carl Rove than it is to be George Ex- W. Bush. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and that's why when Olena and Tywin have that scene together, it's so satisfying because it's like, finally, two worthy opponents against each other. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. that. When she snaps the pen, Olena snaps yeah. Tywin's pen. I mean, brilliant. brilliant. Such a good scene. Yeah, I mean, these are really women to be reckoned with, and I think that's all we see in this season is their ability to reckon. They play the game well. And, you know, you see Cersei get more and more marginalized. She's more and more that, like, old, defunct female. She has no role as a mother. She has no role as a wife. She has no role as a sexual object. Her only, you know, she's basically shoved off to the side. Mm -hmm. And that, I think the tension between, like, Marjorie and Cersei, it's just so in- indicative of the power that Marjorie, you know, is play- is playing to her advantage. Exactly. And I think that, I get, the, I get the feeling, so 
Tywin obviously respects Olena Tyrell. Like he's, it's, it's interesting what that conversation he had with Cersei, where is where he's like, you know, I don't not trust you because you're a woman, and it's because you're not as smart as you think you are. Obviously, he knows that Olena is smart, and it's interesting to me to think about like, oh, I wonder what his relationship is going to be to Marjorie, because Marjorie is like Olena's protege, and it's also super good at what she's doing. So I feel like he would also be would respect Marjorie and what she's doing. I mean, he has to know like. I mean, he can kind of handle Joffrey, but the only other person that can handle Joffrey is Marjorie. Yeah, and he's like so, recognizes it and is grateful for it. He's like, exactly. "Well, good." So, yeah, I mean, like, I think just, he appreciates just, the power of his allies. You know, I just I don't know. I I just am always happy when I see women kicking ass on TV. Like, mm-hmm. even if they're being dicks, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with a, a woman character being an asshole on TV because number one. I'm Not done being nice, are, people. Well, no, it's just that, like, I don't like the concept of, like, women are sweet and, like, innocent. No, that's stupid. Like, women are humans, so yeah. some of them are nice and sweet and innocent, and some of them are assholes. And I like to see yeah. a lot of different people on yeah. the screen. This is, a, really cl- this is a reference to a different book. Actually, I, the memory I have is actually from the movie version, but I'm pretty sure it's another book, too. Um, where it's that, it's that same thing in Little Women when Joe March mm-hmm. is talking to Mr. Bear and all the other guys about suffrage and why women should mm-hmm. or shouldn't be allowed to vote. And they're all like, oh, but women are good and gentle and kind, so they should have it. She's like, no, that's not why we should have the vote. Like, yes, like, it's not because it's, we're gentle and kind and, and good. It's because we're citizens of this country and we're people. And the fact that women could actually be treated... I mean, it's, it's, it's continues to be incredibly relevant to the way we talk about how women are supposed to be in the world today. Yeah. Even like arguments 150 years later, female leadership. Exactly. It's like, like, no, women are nurturing. No, like women, the wars wouldn't stop if Hillary Clinton were president. I love Hillary Clinton. I hope she is president someday, but like, if we had all all women in Congress or in the government, that wouldn't stop wars because wars are a human construct. Yeah, women exactly. are people and deserve and like, to be treated as people who have flaws and who are self interested and who can often mm-hmm. also cause a lot of good for the world, just just men can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boom! Snap! I don't that's, know. I just, that's my. I, that, <laughs> I know that there has when we I think we've talked about this in every single one Westeros episode we've had. Um, Game of Thrones has criticisms in its portrayals of women, but, like, overall, in the realm of fantasy books, I think it does an excellent job, and because and it's because the women characters are so fleshed out. Like, mm-hmm. they're real. They're people. They're really people. They're not a stereotype. Like, everyone's different. There are good ones. There are bad ones. Like, I, I just think... Pretty ones, it, tall ones, rough nice. ones, ugly ones. <laughs> yeah. Hairy ones, hair bad ones. ones like, <laughs> all sorts of ones. Like, it's just, it's nice. It's it's nice to see, like, at, it, it's very encouraging to me. And that's, and that's why, despite problems in this series, like, that exist, because, you know, yeah. George R. R. It still gives us a hell of a lot more to talk about than most. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, it, I, I still am very dedicated to it as a series. Like, it, as a woman, it makes me glad to read a series with well-written female characters. Um, yeah. And that's why I keep coming back to it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Same these. So, on that note, should we, should we wrap yeah. up? I think we're I good. Think we should, I think that's actually a really excellent note to wrap up on, guys. Yeah. I think so, too. So, Great talking. Um, so, 
So let's do a little housekeeping here at the end. Um, I'm going to totally steal from the podcast Comedy Bang Bang. I don't know if you guys ever listened to it, but... Put it in the plug bag. Plug. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, like, Annie, I know you've got some stuff going on with your food truck. Like, you know, tell us about that. Is there anything we can... Oh, yeah. So I'm working on a nonprofit food truck that um, trains, uh, hires, and empowers formerly incarcerated youth. And we just ran a $40,000 Indiegogo campaign, and we hit 100% today. So thank you, everyone who donated. Oh, my God. So exciting. Um, And we'll be building and uh, designing our food truck over the summer, and we expect to launch um, a pilot by the end of September, early October. What's it called? So you can find more news out about us at drivechangenyc.org. Um, also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is drivechangenyc. And we'd love to have your, you know, attention and support. And you, you'll find us on some major news and blogs and stuff uh, throughout the summer. So we've been getting some great attention and support. And thanks, everyone. Awesome. So exciting. Betsy, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at that Betsy lady on the Twitter machine. And I'll I'll be your friend. (laughs) She tweets haikus on Twitter. I do. I've been really bad about tweeting lately, though, because I was on vacation for a few weeks. You've been busy. And things are a little crazy right now. But I will get back to my haiku life soon. You know what? Now that I've mentioned it on the podcast, which is going to come out in like a couple weeks, now you're going to have to do your haikus again. I am. Everyone's, everyone's going to ask about, like, Bessie, where's your haikus? I didn't get my morning haiku dose, and now I feel sad, so yeah. I have to start putting them in again. I'm going to ask you about it. Yeah. Um, Although what's funny is this dude on Twitter recently followed me, and I was like, who are you? And he writes morning haiku, and I was like, oh, oh so he, like, yeah. we could be friends. Uh, maybe you'll fall in love and marry one, one each other, one another, the wine, the or wine may, and talk. Or maybe talk. we'll just read haiku and move on with our lives separately. That's probably <laughs> a better idea. We don't want to make you uncomfortable here. Yeah. Um, but Betsy's single and she'd love you to take her to a nice dinner. <laughs> if you're okay. If you're, you know. Anyway, Jennifer, where can we find you on the Twitter machines? So you can find me personally on Twitter at Jennifer Cheek. Um, and again, like I mentioned at the beginning, this is an offshoot of the Cast of Thrones podcast, which, um, we do about Game of Thrones. We're about to go in, we're, we are in the off season right now. So we're about to go into a book club for Storm of Swords, which is going to be very exciting. And guys, it's so long till Game of Thrones starts again. So you know what else you should fill your time with? You should listen to my other podcast, which is Dun- Drunks and Dragons. <laughs> we play Dungeons and Dragons. It's funny. I have a good time. I play a dwarf lady. It's fun. Um... We're really, really ridiculous. So, Yay. you know, even if you don't play Dungeons and Dragons, just like give it a random listen. See if you like it. Cause it's essentially like a choose your own adventure story with me and Tim and our other friend Mike Bachman being insane with Mike DeMaro, Thrifty, trying to rein us in. It's pretty good. So, um, I think that's it for our plugs. So I don't have a catchphrase for us at the end. Oh my gosh. We, do we have I a mean, signature sign off? We need to, we need to. Or swipe into existence. Mm. I don't. Or just cheers. Cheers. More wives. More wives. <laughs> Women and we'll see, we'll see you next time, ladies and men. All right. And, 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 yeah. and, and anyone else. <laughs> anyone. <Thank you. laughs>